Back in 1982, in my humble opinion, which is not that humble and frankly is fairly informed, so you should probably pay attention, <laughs> one of the greatest American bands of all time, X, out of Los Angeles, who were lumped in with their punk brethren at the time, but were so much more accomplished than the vast majority of their peers and compatriots in that era, but shared that same indomitable spirit, they put out their third record called uh, Under the Big Black Sun. And prior to the release of that album, I had never heard of the band before. You know, young, suburban kid, growing up in Coon Rapids, not exactly the mean streets of punk L.A., right? And I didn't find it till a couple <laughs> years later, but my dad, you know, I, I learned my love of music from my dad. You know, I got a lot from both of my parents. They're both wonderful people, thankfully both still here, and I have a great relationship with them. But early on, I learned about music pilfering my dad's record collection. And one of the things he would do prior to the internet, prior to the availability of really anything that way, he would go to the public library and you could check out records. And largely it was all the same oh, square yeah. stuff and classic rock stuff, mm -hmm. right? But one day he came home and I had just started to explore odd left field music and he came home one day with a record and he's like hey i got this for you this looks like uh, one of those bands you've been getting into lately and handed me a copy of under the big black sun wow which i put on and it it was a defining moment for me i remember it i mean people like to use hyperbole like shit man that changed my life shit this thing meant so that record actually changed my life i fell in love with x so hard and started to get old enough that i was like i skipped Swim practice, believe it or not, to go down Ooh. to my very first First Avenue show, and it was that band right there, X, for that particular tour, and actually it was the tour after, but that was the record that got me on board with them, and um, I uh, they remain a top five all-time American band in, again, my humble estimation, uh, just unbelievable, and it happened to be one of the alternate song requests by today's guest, who we'll check in with very shortly, but first, I should let you know, this is The Brian Oak Show, episode 160. 61, recorded here in the Smart Start MN Studios in beautiful South Minneapolis. And I'm here with Sean Bernard. How are you, Sean? Oh, I'm hot. Yeah. It's warm, Brian. It's stupid. Did you know it's warm? I'm wearing a sweatshirt. When will I learn? Never. You know what happened is I got fat over COVID, and so I like to wear a sweatshirt to cover it up. And I know it doesn't work, but I still try anyway. You know? You just look warm and jolly. <laughs> Do you mean do you mean blotching on the verge of a stroke? Is that what you actually you meant? Said that. Yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, it is hot outside. It's already in the 80s with the dew point rising rapidly. We're on our way, for those of you not in the Twin Cities today, on this particular Friday, June 4th, we are on our way to a high... 95 is what they said originally. Now they've changed it to 97. And tomorrow, Saturday the 5th, it looks very likely that we are going to have an Eskimo nose kiss with 100 mm. degrees Fahrenheit with very high humidity, which, of course, for someone like me, means down in the basement. Sure, I'll go clean the cat boxes. Sure, I'll go down there and vacuum downstairs. I don't care. Yeah, no, anything to stay down there because, again, as I've told you before, our house is big. It's not big mansion big, but it's very tall, and there are a lot of rooms. They're all very small, but in order to keep the upstairs even breathably cool in weather like that, the basement is so cold that your ankles hurt. And that's where I'll be spending the next 72 hours. It's kind of like a bomb shelter for you when it gets this hot. You yeah. won't go out until a friend texts and says it's safe to go outside. Yeah, and I still won't believe them. And I'll be like, who is this really? This is the, <laughs> this is the, the radioactive zombies outside trying this to lure me up. Yeah, no, I won't believe you. Uh, no, and unfortunately, if you look at the forecast, 90s or upper 80s Ooh. for the minim a minimum of the next week. It's only early June. Settle down, Minnesota. Although it is beautiful outside. And people are going to be out in profusion. They're going to be jumping in E. coli infested city lakes and <laughs> wandering the paths and rollerblading. And I live right by some of those lakes. The one I live closest to, you haven't been able to swim in for five years because the water to goose shit ratio is so off the charts that it's not even worth risking. But Lake Nokomis is a little better, a little bit further walk, but I actually may wander over and jump in a lake for the first time this year. I'm kind of excited about that. I love Lake Nokomis. We have good family memories there. So It's a great, great place. It's a much bigger lake. I live right by Lake Hiawatha, like a block and a half yes. away. And that's also a cool lake. It's beautiful. It's scenic. But every year there are signs up at the beach that say, do not even stay at least five feet away from the water. Don't don't even smell this water. It's not okay. You, you will bring something home that will infect your family. Everybody who walks out of there looks like the guy from Swamp Thing. That's what... <laughs> 
and then come out of there. It's not good. It's not quite that bad. You think you'd know. You think you'd know. Well, I did learn a few years ago. There were times where I'm like, ah, they don't know better than I do. Now I'm old enough that I'm like, I don't need need a piece of goop goose poop in my mouth uh, other than that though other than the heat it's actually been a pretty good week here in the twin cities other than as we discussed mayor fry deciding to dismantle the george floyd memorial not dismantle the memorial but remove the blockades but then of course last night for the first time in a long time social unrest in south minneapolis yes. both in uptown and around that area people saying no this place matters and i hope it wasn't our last guest on the last podcast colleen cruz that got them all riled up I mean, you get charged with inciting a riot, and uh, well, as our legal expert coming up will tell you, I mean, that's real jail time. You you could be in serious trouble, so let's hope that wasn't the case. But other than that, it's a gorgeous, hot spring day here in the Twin Cities. Um, next Saturday, one week from tomorrow, is Record Store Day, the first of two mm-hmm. Record Store Days this year. I still work at a record store in addition to the podcast and the radio station, and I'm excited. Even though there's nothing that I'm really dying to buy, Record Store Day sort of fires up that natural enthusiasm and I did swing by the record store that I work at over in Hopkins Mill City Sound very quickly before I came in today because it's National Donut Day and the boss always buys good donuts but there's also a new record that came out today that I absolutely had to have now coincidentally not only is the new album by hard dirge doom rock band Red Fang Arrows out today in stores but they announced earlier this week a show, and tickets are on sale this morning, so I've already secured them. This November at the beautifully intimate Amsterdam over in downtown St. Paul, which is going to be a brilliant place to see a band that rocks this heavy and this hard. I secured tickets to that, and I went over to the record store to buy my copy of this particular record. This is the title track from New Red Fang. It's called Arrows on the Brian Oak Show.
if you found that even vaguely palatable, enjoyable at all, um, Red Fang is this great, heavy doom rock band. And doom rock is too strong. I think that turns people off. They're just a hard rock band, but they're clever. They're funny. Their videos are brilliant. Go and watch the video for a song called Prehistoric Dog. I would have played it right there. I Frankly, I think it's a better song, and the video's brilliant. But that's their brand new song. It came out today, the title track from the new Red Fang video, Arrows. But do go check out Prehistoric Dog. If you're familiar with LARPing, you will enjoy this video more than I can possibly express. It is the Brian Oak Show, episode 161, and it's sponsored by Smart Start MN. And I was going to launch into our regular commercial, but to me that seems sort of pointless as yeah. we're going to take a relatively deep dive on Smart Start MN because Sean and I are going to welcome in one of the foundational figures in Smart Start Minnesota, the primary sponsor for the Brian Oak Show, also a very deep music fan, one Ed Cohen. Ed, hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm real good. You are the first person in 161 episodes to bring an animal into the studios. And a I chimpanzee, like who would have thought? I was going to say, I didn't know you were into bearded dragons, but no. that's cool. No, you brought an incredible pup by the name of Sloan in with you, and Sloan's been your dog for how long? Uh, about a year. Okay, very good. And Sloan seems relatively cool with it in the, in the relatively small confines. Again, it's a lovely studio. But it's not palatial. We don't have a we don't have a dog park. <laughs> no, you don't. No, no, I know. Well, oh, did you hear how he said that, Sean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, get to work on the fucking dog. Park. I'm trying. I'm working on it. Uh, smart start, MN. Let's go ahead and knock out the business part of it before we go any further. At least a small part of the business part. We talk about Smart Start MN every single week on this show because you're the main sponsor. It's the Smart Start MN Studio. You make the studio possible along with our Patreon members. How did, so we, we always tell people, Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. I know you don't want to start here, but let's do the business first, uh, if you don't mind. Not a problem. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> so how does it begin? When does Smart Start start to even foment in somebody's mind? Because obviously people have been drinking and driving and getting in trouble for it for a long time. And the necessity to get back on the road has also been a thing for just as long, but it wasn't always so simple. Certainly wasn't simple when I got mine 20 plus years ago. When did Smart Start start? to become a thing and what sort of process happened with the legislature or the powers that be in minnesota to make it actually approved and, and legal and, and good and it's a long story which i will shorten up significantly please do the uh <laughs> <laughs> it's it, we started uh well i mean look the the reason for wanting to even get into this business has to do with my business partner and my profession we we're both criminal defense lawyers mm -hmm. we both defended people who got duis mm -hmm. And the thing that we knew was that the hardest thing about the DUI wasn't, you know, going to jail or getting in trouble or paying a fine or having something on your criminal record. It was losing your driver's license. I mean, that was the hard part because mm -hmm. people need to get to work and they need to get their kids places. They need to go to the store. And when you get a DUI, you lose your license and you can't do those things. And I don't know how many people I represented told me, I, I, I just, I don't care what happens. Send me to jail. I'll go to jail. You want me to do a year in jail? I'll do it. But I can't lose my license because I, I drive for my work. I'll lose my job. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose everything. That was kind of always brewing in the back of our minds. Um, in 2003, we came across some stories in the media about Ignition Interlock. We never heard of it before. It was like, holy cow, mm. how do we not have this here? You know, Minnesota's so progressive. Yeah. Minnesota's so on top of Things like this. How have we never heard of this? And was it instituted in other states before it became viable and legal here? It was. Okay. It was. This was something that was really big in the Southwest. Um, it started, a number of companies started in Texas in the early 90s. And by 2003, when we heard about it, it was kind of really throughout the Southwest. It was re getting really big. And this story was out of New Mexico. Um, New Mexico had just implemented, um, you know, most people who got a DUI had to do interlock. We're like, number one, what is interlock? Number two, why are we not doing this? And we looked and we actually had a law. And there was a pilot program that ran in the late 90s, maybe 99, in Anoka, where they did it with nine people and found it was really effective. Well, why aren't we doing this? So we went and I knew some people at the legislature and talked to them. They're like, well, we should be doing it. Okay, what's stopping it? And really, sadly... Um, it was the Department of Public Safety who was against it, and they were against it for a number of different reasons, but they didn't want to certify a vendor. 
And so for a couple of years, we worked on trying to... Because then you've got you've got state business mixing with private business, and that, that gets a little murky? It does, but I think more of what the problem was is they, number one, couldn't see the value, mm-hmm. and number two, didn't want to do the work because they knew that setting up a new kind of program like right. that, there's some administrative costs. Of course. You're going to have to hire, you're going to have to teach people, you're going to have to learn it yourself. So there's a lot that goes into that, and they just didn't feel like doing the work. Um, the big impediment was the, that the way the legislature had written the statute that was in place was the state may certify a vendor. And so for a couple of years, we worked on trying to sneak through something to change that one word, may, to shall. No luck. I mean, we actually just got stomped down at the last second a couple of times when mm, we got close. Shocking. I know. Well, it really is when you stop and think about it that what, the, if, the one job the Department of Public Safety has is public safety. And from a layman's point of view, like myself, I'm like, this is the only group of people that you can be guaranteed have not had a drink before they got into their car. (laughs) This seems like a good idea. Right. 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 And, you know, now, 17, 18 years later, everyone recognizes that one of the best tools that people have in the, in the toolbox is ignition interlock. And, And it's really popular and Everybody loves it now, but back then they couldn't see the value. And you with so, your new ideas and your crazy, <laughs> oh, crazy newfangled contraptions—those round things with <laughs> axles that you're moving and yeah. stuff. Oh, I've heard of those. Wacky. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and so here we are, though. Twenty years later, it's accepted, and not only is it accepted, but we've got interlopers. We've got carpetbaggers coming in saying, sure. "Oh, Minnesota does it now. Well, why don't we go in there and make a little money?" But if you will allow me to not represent your company officially, but just sort of as a proxy, let me say fuck those guys smart start mn smart start mn is minnesota's original they did the groundwork man they put in the effort it's like someone swooping in on your girlfriend it's not cool right it's not cool man they did the work the important work and if people would like to know more they can go to smartstartmn.com and if they'd like to know more and save money on the ignition interlock system there's also a way to do that yeah smartstartmn.com slash the brian oak show they'll get 20 percent off the installation of the already affordable ignition interlock crazy system. Affordable. It's I'm, so I'm, I, affordable i'll never call you out on why you guys won't let me mention the price because even if you don't save the 20 percent, when i looked online to see what it cost it's it's compared to every other expense in your dui yes. experience as i know from experience it's dirt cheap but we're just going to leave it right there and we're not going to bring it up again until we mention smart start again ed cohen's in here and we're not just cupping him and uh spooning him because he's the primary sponsor of the show what? but no mainly he's a music fan and a cool guy and you know cupping and spooning that's something that you do to sponsors it had never hurts but that's not that's not the main that's reason like, yeah, why we've got yeah. you here it's um he's like yeah no it does and maybe a little maybe just a little more cupping if you it's don't mind been a long pandemic <laughs> yes, it's been it hard has. on all of us i want to know before we get to the first song here briefly because i don't like to go too long without music um you as you mentioned before you got into the ignition interlock biz are a defense attorney by trade right. where did you grow up i grew up in golden valley so you are a Minnesota boy. I am. Okay, very good. At what point in your growing up in Golden Valley were you like, I'm doing law? Because I think there are a lot of people who are like, when I grow up, I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer or some, one of these, you know, supposedly reputable trades. Um, but I mean, being a lawyer isn't easy. It's not, a, it's not as simple as deciding you want to be a lawyer. There are a lot of hoops. It's a ton of work. At what point did you decide to be a lawyer and then also manage to maintain it until it actually happened? <laughs> I I grew up in a, my dad was a lawyer, and so it was kind of one of those things you saw. Um, as I got a little older, I'm in college, and I'm thinking, what do I want to do next? And I figured, well, you know, I'd have a job if I went to law school. And look, in 1990, when I graduated from college, uh, it was it was a tough time. I mean, there were a lot of, it was a recession. There were a lot of people who didn't have jobs. And right. I'd gotten into law school, and I'm like, well, what the heck? Might as well go. Um, so I did. So I went to a William Mitchell over in St. Paul. Yep. And uh, got a got a degree from there and just started practicing law. Kind of hung out my own shingle. 
Um, Am I overstating it when I say that become a lawyer, becoming a lawyer is not a simply a matter of wanting to? I feel like, I mean, like if you if you apply yourself and you're reasonably intelligent, you can probably become a lawyer. But it does require a level of dedication and diligence. As you start to go through law school, the hurdles do get higher. the The hoops become smaller that you have to jump through. It's not simple, which is why everyone's not a lawyer. Right. Um, I I'd say that's kind of true there's okay. a lot of people who went you know there like everything else you, there's a lot of people when we went to law school was like how the heck did they get in yeah um but that's like anything else <laughs> idiots well but, yeah. but i work I mean, in radio man okay so i get it how the hell did that person get in here um but you know you it, it is a lot of work um it does take a lot of time you don't want to even if you're not planning on going to work for a big firm which mm-hmm. you know I think a lot of people, when they go to law school, think that they're going to grow up and it's going to be like L.A. law and you're going to have all these fantastic adventures. And after 10 years, awesome your name people. is going to be on the top of the business <laughs> no there. You're going to be a partner. It's going to be brilliant. I think a lot of people, especially that time, because that was sort of prime L.A. law time. Right. A lot of people went thinking that would that's what it was going to be like. And I kind of knew better from growing up around it that... You know, there's there's a lot of tough pieces to it. There's, you know, once you get past the school, which, you know, in its own way, it wasn't that bad. It's like anything else. It's school. You can work really hard and do really well, or you can work kind of hard and do pretty well. Right. You know, I, I did a little bit of the latter. I feel very <laughs> I feel very triggered right now and very seen because I've done a lot of the latter. Keep showing up and do the work. But let's not do maybe all the work today. Right. Kevin. <laughs> I bet some of this can wait until tomorrow. Uh, Ed Cohen is our guest right now, and I want to hear a song right now. And you've chosen some excellent ones right here. So I talk about my top five bands of all time. I talk about bands that were defining to my youth personally, but also to people my age. And it turns out you and I are virtually identical in age. Graduated the same year from high school. This band, I was lucky enough to be turned on by a friend. I didn't find them, but early on, he turned me on to this band. They were the defining band of the second half of my teen years in my life, without question. Another one of my top five bands of all time, not even American bands, although they happen to be an American band. I want to know why you picked this band and this song in particular. Well, honestly, the band, for a lot of the same reasons, really sort of a defining uh piece of my late teen years kind of early teen years mm. i like you had a friend who had an older brother mm-hmm. you know and those guys were key because those guys yeah. turned you on to a lot of stuff well either they turned you on to sticks and uriah heap or they turned you on to bands like aria <laughs> yeah and I, I i mean i've been lucky enough to kind of have some good people kind of mentoring my music through the years but Same. music's always been a real important part of uh, me i guess um you know i i associate music with a lot of things it's you know if i think of a memory a lot of times it comes with a song that tags along with it Uh um this is one of those i mean rem we got turned on to really early and i can't remember if we saw them at uh, like nicolet island or raspberry island in Mm. 82 but i definitely saw them a few more times in the mid 80s right um this this song in particular i picked because i've kind of gotten back into them again Mm -hmm. for some reason Mm -hmm. lately i've been listening to a lot of rem and this song in particular i heard something the other day i'd never heard of i've probably heard this song a thousand times two thousand three thousand times right at the end of the song way buried deep in the mix is i think bill barry um singing a little line that goes something like um i i can't even remember exactly what it is but there's a little tiny bill barry line that I heard for the first time last week. Crazy. Now, I've heard this song, like I said, thousands of times. Right. And I found something new in it. How do you, how does that happen? So I'm so excited about this that I figured this was a good song and I love the song.
I remember watching that video. So I didn't have MTV when it first launched, right? My dad was notoriously cheap when it came to <laughs> things like cable. Uh, anyway, I know my dad listens to all these. Dad, I love you. And I know that I was not, there were no privations in my life. There were plenty of great things, including the Atari 2600 that you busted. But we didn't have cable. We never bought cable television. So I didn't hear or see MTV until I went to college. And that song was in heavy rotation on MTV at the time. And it was striking. It was actually a new direction in music videos because they had most of the lyrics uh, appear in print on the course of the video that was arguably about oppression or acid rain mm. or environmental degradation in general but it was it was a groundbreaking video and REM did that many times throughout their career but oh my gosh man life's rich pageant which the fact that just that name alone is based on a Peter Sellers quote it's so very good um, and that's just that's really a great great song as chosen by today's guest Ed Cohen who will return to return to momentarily but first we have to turn our attention to one sean bernard sean is looking tan rested and ready right now he's lost a bunch of weight he's got amazing color for this early in the season (laughs) wearing a fashionable shirt i don't really feel like i qualify to be with you on this so what i'm going to do is turn it over to you and i want you to tell me about what you do and it's hard to imagine there's anything else going on in your life aside from this podcast but i know (laughs) i know that you have other pursuits in your life primarily being a realtor for um what are they called Edina Realty. At 50th in France. Yeah, I met with the, uh, a friend this morning who's looking at selling her place next year. Uh, but it's still possible to buy and sell this year. You know, there, there's a perception out there that there's nothing available whatsoever. Inventory is down. It's not completely gone. And the interest rates are still really, really good. So I'll just say if you know somebody that's looking to buy or sell, 612-859-2594. I'll do the research and the homework and we'll really look at what your house is worth, and what the house that you're looking at buying is worth as well. And this year, I'm doing something kind of different. I'm donating a portion of every sale uh, on the buy side or sell side to a local artist or musician. 612-859-2594. That number is also textable. It's creepier every time you say it. Ed, um, you talked about how music was an important part of growing up for you. Now, in Coon Rapids, Coon Rapids is a different world. It's not very far away, but it felt like the biggest small town I'd ever been in growing up there. I just never felt entirely comfortable in my own skin, but I found my tribe, right? And a big way as a teenager, no matter who you are, no matter where you grow up, music is a powerful identifier, right? I mean, sure, maybe you dress in a trench coat and a beret. (laughs) Not that I did, of course, in 1984. I never wore a beret because none would fit my head, but I may have had a trench coat. Um, But, I mean, music is a a powerful tool of identity. And when you're a teenager, you're dying for identity. And for whatever reason, as opposed to wanting to move towards the center of the herd, I kind of liked being an outlier. And even though R.E.M. has gone on to be one of the most commercially successful American bands, one of the most safe and normal bands you could possibly imagine... In the 80s, even there with Life's Rich Pageant, they were outliers. They were a college radio band. They were not an everyday band. If you had an REM button on your trench coat, you were a punk rocker in Coon Rapids. (laughs) I mean, was it the same thing for you when you were growing up? It was a little bit. Um, I was lucky to kind of grow up uh, with people who, uh, you know, were looking at all kinds of different music. Um, I went to a high school that, a lot of the suburbs went to. So we saw the suburbs pretty frequently. Oh, um, someone just asked on the internet the other day, what is the band you've seen live more than any other band? And my answer is the suburbs, because when I started to go see music at that age in the mid eighties, they were playing at all the family events. They were playing at all the outdoor festival events. And then when I got a little older, I would go see them at shows. And so they were just always there. I've probably seen them 40 plus times. Well, and if I count, like the number of times I've seen things that Chan Poling was in, yeah, it would be probably right. in the hundreds. I <laughs> right, mean, he used exactly. to play. He used to play a regular gig at what's not now Lercot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I used to go to that. Uh, I've seen. I can't tell you how many times I've seen the new standards. Yep. Um, you know, but that's probably he's probably the my, Twin my Cities. top artist that I've seen also. Well, exactly. But so with, anyway, growing up, you were around people who were kind of cool with being cool about music. Yeah. I mean, and, and you, you'd hear different things. I mean, I, I had friends who were really into Prince when we were in eighth grade, which, you know, and the Prince train, that's pretty early. That's well, surprisingly early, actually, because I got there not too much later, and I'd heard a couple hits on the radio, but a friend of mine 
brought me over to his house one day and made me listen like on the day it came out to 1999. Yeah. You know, and little red Corvettes on there. I mean, yeah. that first side of the four albums is all hits, but only one of the hits had hit so far. So I knew who Prince was, but growing up with almost no R&B and funk in my life, but also being a deep synthesizer, new wave head, I'm like, holy crap, those were worlds colliding in ways that had never collided before. So I remain a big fan, but I also feel like I got there earlier than most, but not quite as early as you did. Well, and I don't I don't want to take credit for it, because I wasn't a big fan of it. it wasn't, you discovered it wasn't, Prince. I did not <laughs> discover Prince. I had friends interesting. who... <laughs> interesting. But R.E.M.'s interesting, because R.E.M. was one of the first ones where I kind of got turned off the further on they went, the more popular they got. Mm-hmm. And turned off is the wrong word, but it no, was No, like, you and I are the same person. It, those first five records... Yep are canon for me. Yes. Green came out, which was their first real giant breakthrough, and I didn't feel it anymore. It was that was their Warner introduction. Well, and then and then yeah. Automatic for the People and then Monster, which I literally played every song off of in my first year in radio. And it wasn't like I hated them. I mean they really paved the way for alternative to happen. Right. But those first five records to me are canon. Those first five records are so crucial and I don't like to be that guy who's like, you know, I'm really a fan of the early stuff. And, yeah. Uh, uh, but with R.E.M., I'm really a fan of the early stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, their their first five, I mean, it's not fair to call them perfect, but I mean. All what, the way up to what document. A, what a, I mean, what a run. So I've, I've asked out loud before, and I'm still waiting for the proper answer, <laughs> is American bands, okay? Not British bands, not anywhere else. Of American bands. Name a band whose first five albums consecutively without a dip in the scene mm-hmm. were as perfect as the first. And five albums is a long run. Most right. al- most bands don't get five albums out, period. Right. But their very first, like Out of the Gate with Murmur, right? And then Reckoning and all of them. Um, the first five records as good as what R.E.M.'s first five records were. And the only thing anyone's ever been able to tell me that's even comparable, maybe, maybe Tom Petty. Yeah, that's Maybe. what I was going to say. Yes. And then yeah. see, and that, and I can listen to that argument. But REM are singular in the quality. Most bands don't seem to come out of the musical womb fully formed. I know Chronic Towns and EP. I got it. And it's also fantastic. Right. I'm talking about the first five full length albums. And then also evolving over the course of them, but never losing their consistency, their spirit, and just the overall quality of how good it was and how much it resonated. They might be as important, and again, I know this sounds like hyperbole, I believe that R.E.M. are as important an American band of the second half of the 20th century that existed. And I don't think that's overstating things. I don't think that that overstates it. I mean, I might be able to come up with somebody who... There are others that are great, great, no question. No. But to to under, you know, especially given their success later on in their career, right? (laughs) They're they're genuine, widespread, cinematic, commercial success. Given what they did, they literally, as much as any other band, laid the groundwork throughout college radio for Nirvana to kick the door open in 1991 Mm -hmm. and literally change the face of American music. So I was glad when they cashed, and again, cashed in makes it sound way too mercenary. I was glad when they got their due at the end because a lot of bands that also put in the work in the 80s Oh, I don't know. Let's say Husker Du mm-hmm. didn't really get their due. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Bob Mole would go on to be in Sugar. Grant Hart would be in a number of bands. Bob Mole did a bunch of solo stuff. But I mean, Husker Du, in my opinion, also being from Minnesota, I'm a little biased. As important and influential a band, I can draw a straight line from Husker Du through the Pixies to Nirvana. But again, the vast majority of people outside of the upper Midwest or people who don't work at record stores or weren't ever music critics, I don't know who the fuck Husker Du is. Right. I, and, right. That, and that's just and part it's a, of it. And it's a tragedy. That, that I couldn't agree more. I want to talk with you more about music because I like your opinion on this, but I noticed that the next song you've chosen <laughs> happens to be by Husker Du frontman, well, one of, if you will, a guitar player and vocalist, one Bob Mould. And Bob Mould, after the demise of Husker Du, really wanted to distance himself. Right. And I interviewed him a couple times in those years, during the sugar years and mm. the early solo years, and... I thought, well, maybe that's not his jam. Maybe he doesn't want... So I tiptoed towards it, and when I saw the fangs flash, I was like, let's be cool. And I just walked away from it, and we talked about whatever it was he was working on at the time. But in the last 10 years, he has softened and has come, I think, to respect the fact that people do not dismiss the later work, but the way they revere the early work, it doesn't mean they're not willing to let you grow as an artist, but you also, as an artist who's been allowed to have a career this long, you have to... You have to gain some respect for the fact that you changed people's lives. Right. I don't know. And again, I know it sounds like hyperbole, but you picked some stuff that hits real near and dear to my heart today. Zen Arcade, when it came out in 1984, 
I don't know if any one single album changed the course of my thought pattern, my musical tastes, what what I thought about the world I was growing into. I had no context. I had no I had nothing to prepare me for what Zen Arcade sounded like, and it literally rewired my brain. Yeah. I I mean, I feel that way about uh, about X, about, you know, about about uh I can't even think of the name of the album, but the under the big black sun. Under a big black sun, yeah, that's a great one. I mean, and and hearing that that song did the same thing. It's I mean, the opening it was, strains, right? It, it's the first song, and it sets the tone for a brilliant, unprecedented album, right? It's it's that primal drum beat. It's everything. It's everything about it. The yep. the harmonics between John and Xene. I mean, I heard that, and I'm like, I, I'm. I'm afraid of this, but I love it. I'm afraid <laughs> of it, but I love it. I think it's the same thing with Husker Du. Growing up, when I was, when, you know, when I was around the same age, I was more of a replacements guy than Husker Du. Right. And when I went to college, classic we argument. Were, I was right. Too, I yeah. mean, we were we were much more replacement than Husker Du, mm-hmm. who are also awesome, by the way. I've been asked so many times, no, with my known love of Husker Du, well, replacements are Husker Du. I'm like, well, I'm going to pick Husker Du. But replacements are freaking brilliant. They also change the game and right. and are owed so much. So if I pick one over the other, understand it's like picking between a nine point seven and a nine point six. Right. But uh, this next song is is kind of was was my boomerang back to Bob mm-hmm. from. I mean, I was a, a giant Bob Mold fan in the you know eighty nine when Workbook came out, oh. and then Black Sheets of Rain, and then Sugar, and and and. This song kind of came about as my kids were old enough where I could start going to shows again. Yeah. Where, you know, right. I didn't have, you know. <laughs> the I guilt wasn't, look. I wasn't leaving my wife, you know, with three little, little yes. kids. Right. They were just now younger kids who could kind of take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. While so you I could went at least get away for one night. Right. Right. Um, and I've seen Bob, every tour that he's been through, mm-hmm. the current tour, that's a different story. But, right. But the, the <laughs> I came back to Bob. I really heard about bob and really came to love bob um when he released workbook and and i actually it came out right about the same time as the pixies doolittle i had it on a cassette bob on one side doolittle on the other wow and my deck broke and it wouldn't eject so i'm stuck listening to those songs over and over it was a tragedy like you're on a trip to mars it wasn't it was beautiful i loved it It, you know this was the only thing i could listen to so we i go back to college i'm like guys you got to listen to this stuff i mean they we were all kind of we we were all over the map on music but kind of similarly situated with some common areas and this was one of them who comes to town in october the pixies who's opening for the pixies bob mole shut up really boulder Boulder theater october 1989 oh my god one of the best shows i ever saw and we were up against the stage for the whole show it was just unbelievable those kinds of shows can really change everything well as i was saying before bob kind of like was doing everything in his power to distance himself from husker do but still you know workbook was obviously a palate cleanser right Mm -hmm. but a a beautiful brilliant missive that showed just what a brilliant songwriter he was even without that roar and that fury and then black sheets of rain came along and it turned out he still had it with him sugar had some great moments maybe a little poppier and throughout the course of his solo career in the 21st century here he's gone back and forth but he brought back a lot of the craziness and not craziness is the wrong word sonic fury can i go with sonic fury i think that's fair and he's not afraid of it and he wasn't afraid to also delve into some of his older sounds so on silver age on beauty and ruin all of a sudden you're hearing that that unmistakable bob mold guitar tone and that incredible voice and you know it doesn't sound nostalgic he's not cashing in but he's also not afraid of the thing that made him the thing he is today yeah and i think i think he fought it for a long time he I mean, did you go back and you listen to modulate which right was a strange album <laughs> but but uh, i think it's sound on sound i love that song and it's it's all full of synthesizers and weird like Bottles tipping over and, <laughs> and stuff that, like that. that. weird blow-off project he <laughs> yep. did that was almost a techno project for right. a while. He was trying to be a DJ. And again, artists are allowed to explore the space, but then it's also not terrible. And when there are people who revere you like unto a god, every once in a while you have to you have to throw them a few alms. Right. No, absolutely. And and Bob is one of my favorites. That's why I chose this song. This was kind of my, my re-entry back into Bob Mold. And um, so I really like this song.
2012, it was definitely a return to form for the legendary Bob Mould. Husker Du fame, Sugar fame, solo artist fame, but really Silver Age, Beauty and Ruin, and Patch the Sky were were sort of a trilogy that he had announced beforehand where he was coming to grips with the passing of his parents, with moving on to the next phase of his life. I mean, let's be honest. All three of us can acknowledge that middle age is kind of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's nothing well, good about it. Yeah. Well, I mean that's not entirely true, but it does well. it, it does it does force <laughs> one to sort of rethink what the next act looks like, right? Yes. Youth has definitely left you in the rearview mirror, right? I mean, and so, but that doesn't mean life is over, but it does cause a lot of reflection, and it does cause you to think about what does the rest of my life look like. No, the the part I'm not enjoying is the part where you had the quote the other day when we were talking about, uh, I think it's Mary Lucia said, uh, every morning it's, uh, you know, when I get out of bed, it sounds like somebody threw a skeleton down the stairs. <laughs> it's a, it's, I don't like that part. Mary, no. no, Mary Lucia's Mary Lucia is so funny and so poignant on so many levels, and she frankly said that years ago. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like someone throwing a skeleton down the stairs when I get out of bed. And it's right. I love, I, you know, my knee, I can tell you when the weather's changing. Right now, luckily, the barometer's just fine. We're not going to see a drop. <laughs> We're not going to see a drop in barometric pressure anytime in the near future because my knee feels human today. But there are days where I'm like, oh, man, youth has left me behind. Well, and the thing that has kept us all young at heart has been seeing live concerts. Right. And all three of us especially haven't been able to do that. That's the way where you get into a concert, even if you're by yourself, which I have been. Oh, yeah. And sometimes, Mm -hmm. especially by yourself, where you can just sink into that energy of that band coming right back at you. So that has been the part of this particular time of life with COVID and everything else that has driven me crazy. Yeah. I've tried to do a lot of live shows, you know. Yeah. On TV and Zoom yeah, or whatever. I have to. It's not the same. It's just not. It's, oh, it's not. Well, I mean, it's prim- not bad. It's better but than it's nothing, not but not a whole lot better than nothing. It's right. not the same experience. I no. mean, when you go out to a proper live show, you are subsumed. There's something not just about the performer, but the atmosphere of the people around you, the anticipation, the waiting in line. It's all part of the ritual, right? And when you're at home and you simply log on, the music sounds nice, and I'm glad for the artist. And we, if we can throw a few bucks at an artist in right. doing so, great. It keeps it keeps them alive. It keeps them going. Keeps the relationship going. But here we are, slowly opening up. I mean, the mask mandates are gone. And I went to a show two nights ago with my daughter, mainly because I wanted to hang out with my daughter. I knew it wasn't going to be a good <laughs> show, and it wasn't. So I I did not have that transcendent experience going to see Riff Raff. Oh, but that's I'm, but that's one of your go tos. Well, <laughs> go to is strong. All right, I, there's something about him I find both charming and comical and it just but i've this will be the third fourth time i've seen him and it's never been a good show but I, it's always such a bizarre spectacle that i'm glad i went but he made us wait too long and i kept counting like i started doing that backwards counting where all right i get up at 4 a.m you said you were going to be on the stage at 9 it's 9 55 oh, yeah. you're not out here so if i were to fall asleep right now that's six hours and five minutes you're going to come out in 10 minutes then i've got a, a minimum half hour i got to stay here to keep my daughter happy get home and i start doing that backwards <laughs> right. math of how much yep. sleep i can get yep. so no i'm going to sleep away this entire hot weekend but <laughs> things are opening up again um are you ed as an individual and again no judgment i hate that we make it political right I, it, it's all a matter of comfort first of all you've axed i am me too and so is sean mm-hmm. and not that and that was no judgment there but i mean that's the whole bit right if you're vaxxed and you've had your two weeks you don't have to really wear a mask anywhere you don't feel like it unless a particular proprietor insists on it and then i think that's just part of the social contract we play ball i guess my question to you yeah. is now that we're starting to open up do you feel comfortable getting back out there and b have you already acquired tickets to upcoming shows uh, the answer is kind of and yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. Kind of. I, look, I, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I couldn't agree more. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. yeah. I, I I have been out in public. I have stopped wearing a mask when I go in the grocery store. I'm right. Kind of believing. I'm going to go with the science here and say yeah. that uh, even though I'm I'm you know not a svelte human being and you know that welcome runs, to the club that runs some <laughs> risks when if you if you get it right. at least what I'm hearing is is that if you're vaccinated you know, the chance of like serious illness and death is, is virtually zero. Right. So I'm, I'm going to rely on that and mm-hmm. I'm going to start trying to behave a little bit more normally. Right. Uh, norm. That's probably the wrong word. <laughs> the best, because yeah, the best because there's can. nobody who's since, ever said that I'm normal. Since oh, no. when, Ed? Yeah, I know. Since that's, when? I'm going to try behaving more like, more other like humans. Ed Cohen. <laughs> but yeah, I have, I have acquired tickets. Um, 
there's been a little bit of a, a spree lately. I bought tickets for my daughter to go see uh, Dermot Kennedy at the. Oh yeah, at the, yeah. I just bought her tickets an hour ago. Nice. Um, I bought myself tickets to go see Dinosaur Junior, who almost ended up on today's playlist. Well, you'll be back again. You can certainly play them next time. <laughs> um. Uh, let's see, Black Pistol Fire, at yeah, the Fine Line. Who you would, were telling me about when I saw you the other day. I'm telling you, I think if you're missing out, if you do not jump on the Black Pistol Fire bandwagon, I it's love the that. most unbelievable live show. <clears throat> their their music, like to listen to it, they're good. I mean, I, and you told me a duo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a drummer who does some kind of other stuff behind the scenes, mm. and a guitarist. It's not the music; it is the show, and they are wild. I mean, the the guitarist is really talented. The Love drummer it. looks like a, a Wookiee. Um, <laughs> I saw them for the first time at the entry, and the guitarist almost killed himself jumping off the uh, the bass drum. Yeah. I thought he was going to take his head off on the ceiling. Oh, yeah, on gosh. the monitors hanging yeah. up there, yeah. Um, and then I saw him in the main room, and he ended up doing a solo where he jumped down into the crowd and ended up on, you know, the wheelchair ramp that goes down to the main floor on yeah. the left side uh-huh. he ended up walking up that railing playing a solo wild that's wow. how you roll an ankle young yeah. man okay young man, young man could you he, please step down onto clearly, the ramp he, he, he's clearly very young and, yeah well and, and, not, and not afraid and not afraid these things will happen well i see i love that too when especially there are bands that i would much rather listen to their records and then there are bands where i'm like your record's fine but really live is the only thing i love about you yeah. a band another duo like that that we talked about the other day royal blood for me i didn't know who the hell they were Happened to catch them by chance, opening up for Queens of the Stone Age, and I stood there. I mean, I was saving all my energy for Queens of the Stone Age, and so when you go in not knowing what to expect or expecting nothing, and you're genuinely blown away, that's one of the greatest feelings Uh about leaving the house. It doesn't happen very often, but man, when it does, so good. I'm glad you're getting back out there and, and securing tickets with hopes for a better future. It's good for local venues. It's great for artists. We, and it's good for just our, our mental wherewithal, right? Like, I mean, we all want to get back to some vague semblance of normal life. I don't think it's going to feel truly normal for a long time. Right. I'll admit, when I was out on Wednesday and um, I was at that Riff Raff show, watching all these kids wander around, <laughs> not one mask in sight anywhere. Yeah. I was A, easily, well, with, there might have been one or two other contenders, but definitely among the oldest people in the entire room. And I still wanted to wear a mask. I just, I haven't quite gotten there yet. Even though I'm fully vaxxed, I'm probably good. There's just something about it where I'm not, and especially watching today's young people cavort about at a popular music <laughs> show. Um, it, it Those made, damn kids. It made me uncomfortable. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it made, made me. So I'm like you. I'm sort of okay with getting back out there. I didn't bring my mask into the Smart Start MN studio today for the first time in a very long time. I brought mine. No, I mine's see that you had yours. Yeah. Well, mine's yeah. in the car just outside, but yeah. I walked in and all. For a year and a half, literally, as soon as I got out, I'd be like, oh, I forgot it. Turn around, grab it. I just decided to come in today. So baby steps, right? Yep, you know, baby right. steps. And But I've also secured some concert tickets. Are you going to be going back out to live shows, Sean? I am. I'm actually taking a client and friend of mine to go see Dr. Mambo's Combo, our friend Julius Collins. They're, Fabulous. They're Excellent. playing at um, Hook and Ladder. Mm. Coming up June thirteenth. So the hook and ladder is great. I saw Jeremy yeah, Messersmith there last week. I know you did. Yeah, I got to see him do a house show years ago. I did. And it was a blast. Yeah, we we almost had him at our house a couple times. Oh my! And we gosh. just couldn't we couldn't line the dates up right. Super fun. Yeah, and great. Guy. No, he's 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 so talented, and you know he, he just has yeah. so much fun. Yeah, we should have him on the show. By the way, who's that, Jeremy? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm 100% <laughs> down with it, but like just saying we should know, have him on the show get him and get getting him, him on the show, I know, I know, those are different animals. So right. let me put that on the list of guests to try know, to work I on, know. Sean. Well, and I gave you one, the opener from his show, a young woman named Mayada. Uh-huh. Oh my goodness. Yes. She was so, so good. And, and I watched so the video afterwards and it, it, I mean, she looks incredible. Yeah. And, yeah. and she's a lot of fun and a ton of personality and. Work the phones today, Brian. You uh, I, I was going to say, you two have some great ideas. <laughs> Why don't you hit me with a phone number or maybe make the call yourself? I think I actually, I think I texted you her card. All right. Oh, 
I will call her today. Sean, I think I, I will call her today. Your card just so we're clear. Or, call her or today. before we or start pointing sure fingers, He's I'm going to point them at both of you. You don't know. Look, man, this this show is all about pointing fingers. His name is Ed Cohn, and we do have to start to wrap things up. But before we do, Ed, um, so let's say that you, I, I want the elevator speech on what Smart Start MN is and why it is absolutely, without question, the way to go. Sure. Uh, well, first, what we do is we provide ignition interlock to people who get DUIs. So mm-hmm. people who lose their license because they got a DUI, they need to drive, they've got to drive, they have to get around to their job, to their families, to the grocery store to take care of themselves. And what we do is we have a device that goes in your car that's approved by the state, and if you install it and you jump through a couple of hoops for the state, they'll give you your driving privileges back. And, all, and the ignition interlock for people who genuinely do not understand what it is or what we might be talking about at its basest form, it is a breathalyzer in your car. That's right. You blow clean, you get to drive. A little bit less than clean, but okay. it's nowhere near the limit. You blow clean-ish, and clean-ish. you get to drive. Clean-ish, and you get to drive. So you can have a white claw, just don't have five white claws. That's right. Okay. Which sounds very reasonable, and I will restate because Ed refuses to and refuses to let us do it. It's ridiculously affordable, and even more affordable if you go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show. Let them know you heard about it by going here first. And again, I hope, and it's so weird to have a sponsor that I hope no one ever calls, but I, I don't need to tell you, we live in a world where it happens a lot. Right. A lot. Right. And it's happening a lot more these days, too. Because people are getting back out. And people have lost their minds. Yeah. You know, people have oh, been they're ready to up. go. Oh, yes. I know. Yes. Um, vroom, 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 vroom. Uh, somebody, some, I was reading something the other day, and somebody was suggesting that this is going to be an orgiastic summer of uh, personal delights or something like that. God, I hope so. I, I do, With, too. Without that drinking and driving, sounds I would like the love. Suburbs. It does. I would love In that. your shorts. Exactly. <laughs> an orgiastic summer of delights. <laughs> Oh, you know, t-shirt worthy. It doesn't. It doesn't even have to be that good because I have a fraction of that. Yeah, I know. I'm just not a greedy. Taste. That's just a all. fraction. Just a taste. Oh, <laughs> a taste of orgiasm. I don't know what the right word is there. I'm Brian Oak, and we're going to wrap up episode 161 of the Brian Oak Show podcast. Ed Cohen, our guest. Ed, thank you very much for coming by. Thanks for having me, and thank you Thanks, for. Ed. Having the faith to begin sponsoring the show literally before we put a single episode in the can. And here we are, a year and a half and 161 episodes later. I appreciate your support, man. I've been a big fan of you for a long time. And I thought that when I heard that this might be happening, I thought it'd be a great idea. So we jumped on board. Well, I appreciate it wholeheartedly. And the fact that you stayed with us through all the ups and downs of the last 18 plus months, however long it's been, it seems like forever. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you. You bet. We need to see a concert together. I would love to do yes. that. Like all of us. Ed and go I see. were going to go see Driving, were, and Driving and Crying. Driving and Crying. We were going to go see Driving and Crying right before it got shut down. And then things started to get just a little wonky. I got paranoid. And I'm like, I, I don't know. And we didn't. So now that it's opening up again, let's pick a show. We all three can love go. It. Yeah, love That it. was actually my last show. Was it I really? Saw, I saw uh, The Suburbs on the 14th of February. Uh, the Ed Ackerson tribute on the 20th, mm-hmm. I think. And then I think it was like the 26th of February was Driving and Crying. And that was it. After that, I wouldn't wow. go out. Well, and the next, and I literally didn't go out for yeah same. No, this last yeah. week I went to see two shows, and it's the first time I've been inside a bar to see live music in eighteen months right. at least, and right. so, I mean, maybe not quite eighteen, sixteen, whatever the number is. Yeah. Um, but it's opening up again. First Avenue has announced more than fifty shows in yes. the last two weeks. Yes, it's happening everywhere. So keep your eyes peeled. I hope everyone has an orgiastic summer of delights. <laughs> That's what but we even need if, to do. Even if it's not quite that good, try to get out and enjoy yourself, and good luck surviving the heat this weekend. Um, Sean, thank you, and thank Ed, you. thank you very much. Also, thanks to AudioQuip. Without them, we don't have anything to talk in to actually make this happen. Yeah. And as people start getting out more once again, if you need to rent equipment, AudioQuip in Minnesota, because apparently there's a couple other audio quips out there. Lame. If you look online, <laughs> again, carpetbaggers, pretenders. <laughs> That's right. Screw those people. Go with the real deal. Minnesota's own audio quip, if you need that stuff. And um, before we let you go, though, always one last song. And now, you chose an artist, John Darnielle, who, I got to be honest, he's a difficult listen for me, mm-hmm. because he has had a difficult life. Right. And he is someone who... He was one of the earliest adopters of doing that four-track thing where he was literally selling homemade four-track cassettes out of his trunk. And he's also written a lot of concept records, a lot of themed records. 
but because you know he grew up in a very abusive household right and he has not had the easiest of lives and then even when he decides i'm going to write sort of an imaginary record or a fictional record it's still going to have a theme he is not someone who is afraid to go around the dark themes right he he dives deep man and it's heavy and this particular record that you chose this song of the sunset tree i believe he wrote in the wake of his stepfather dying and to say that he had a contentious relationship with his stepfather hmm. is to damn it with faint praise. It sounds like it was awful for him growing right. up with an alcoholic stepfather. Yep. No, uh, that's that's my understanding. That's what he said. That's what I've read. Uh, but this song is, it's clearly it's autobiographical. Yeah. Um, but of all those songs, it seems to be, it, to me at least, it's very uplifting. It's... I'm going to get through this. Well, and I think I think it's a great song because even if it's about a specific story in his life or a specific time in his life, it speaks to the fact that we've all gone through, even if you haven't suffered, even if you haven't gone through economic hardship, mm. you didn't lose anybody that close to you due to COVID, which many, many people did both those things. It's been different and difficult for everybody, but it's worth always hanging on to a shred of hope. And the chorus is so smile-inducing and tear-worthy at the same time. It, yep. bo- it boggles the mind. Well, and, and this past year, I mean, look, it, it, this was tough for everybody. And and maybe, you know, what was tough for me was different than what was mm-hmm. tough for you. Yeah. But uh, when it got tough, I'd listen to this song and kind of boost me up a little bit. The chorus says, I'm going to make it through this year if it kills me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> We're going to leave you with the Mountain Goats right here on The Brian Oak Show. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.